horrible torture scenes to force innocent victims to confess to BDSM. The victims' bodies were cremated by her to erase the traces. With the idea that God had turned her into an angel of revenge, sent to earth to punish pedophiles, she ruthlessly murdered two victims and possibly more. Welcome back to our channel. Today we are going back to the barbaric murder of Sheila Labare. Labare's dark thoughts and barbaric actions shocked the community and investigators alike, and her case remains one of the scariest serial murders in history. Crime in the United States The story of her and her atrocities is a wake-up call to crime and mental health in society. Join us as we step through the door of darkness to better understand what drives what Sheila Labare calls punishment. In today's episode, we go to the eastern coast of the United States and, more specifically, to the state of New Hampshire. The area is well known for the vast amounts of wilderness that it contains, as well as the number and variety of its native fauna. The majority of New Hampshire's municipalities are located in rural areas and are very tiny. As a result, there is not much activity in this state. Because of the significant impact that European design had on these cities, many of them are frequently referred to as picturesque, and the Swedes deserve special credit for this. Chila La Barre, a middle-aged woman who lives on a horse ranch near Epping, may be found in the state of New Hampshire which is also where we locate her residence. Sheila Bailey started her life in the city of Fort Payne, Alabama, where she was born on July 4, 1958. She was the youngest of six children, which included three sons and three daughters. Her siblings were all girls. Because of this, Sheila was always eager to please her parents and often acted out in order to get their attention, which meant that she always tried to distinguish herself from the rest of her siblings. Sheila was blessed to have both of her parents, yet despite this blessing, she still faced many challenges. And if we're being completely candid, it's possible that she might have been better off with just the one. Sheila her brothers, and even her mother were subjected to many instances of verbal and physical abuse at the hands of her alcoholic father, Manuel, who suffered with spells of drunkenness. Things had gotten to such a horrible state that one evening the family was thrown out of the house by the father while he was throwing things from around the house at them. This included entire cans of antifreeze, and Sheila, who was only six years old at the time, would get hit in the face with one of these cans, leaving her with a permanent scar as a result of the incident. After running into a neighboring cornfield for cover, the family waited for Manuel to leave before making the treacherous journey back to their home in the middle of the night. Once Manuel had left, the family walked the five miles to join the rest of their family. Sheila and one of her other sisters have stated that they were subjected to repeated physical assaults by their father beginning at a very early age, which, unfortunately, was not the end of the abusive behavior. Due to the fact that Sheila's birthday falls on Independence Day and the fact that she has a very fiery personality, she was appropriately given the moniker the firecracker. Nevertheless, despite all of this adversity, Sheila would finally graduate from Fort Payne High School at the age of 18. 
Thanks to her birthday falling on Independence Day and her extremely fiery personality, Sheila was appropriately given this nickname. Sheila was a very eager person to please and a very ambitious young lady. Despite the fact that she was unpredictable when she was young, she was really eager to please. She dreamed of having a career either as a country singer or a model. She put a lot of effort into becoming noticed, and as a result, she made a lot of money. Sheila was thought to be exceptionally beautiful at that time period, and she frequently exploited her attractiveness as an advantage in her interactions with the man. Therefore, it was not necessarily impossible for her to accomplish this goal. But, alas, her aspirations were doomed to failure, and she ultimately found herself working as a maid at a nearby hotel, alongside her sister, in order to contribute to the financial well-being of the family. Sheila first became acquainted with John Baxter, a young man, when she was 23 years old. John was just 19 years old when he became a father to his little daughter by another woman. After a whirlwind relationship developed between the two young people, they decided to get married on New Year's Eve in 1981. Because they were married for such a short amount of time, there is really no purpose in displaying any kind of photograph of him. While John was gone at work, Sheila had been punishing his daughter by shutting her in a small closet whenever she misbehaved. John found out about this once he returned home. It is easy to understand why John felt so enraged by the circumstances. He noticed the warning signs. He wasted no time in securing the safety of his daughter and immediately ended his marriage to Sheila. On the other hand, she didn't appear to be concerned about the divorce. As soon as this happened, she was always moving fast from one relationship to the next. Because of this, she was finally introduced to a man whose name was Ronnie Jennings. Sheila and Ronnie's marriage lasted for four years but was full of chaos and upheaval. Ronnie was frequently unfaithful, and Sheila was prone to mood swings that frequently escalated into physical altercations. During one of their arguments, Sheila insisted that she and Ronnie get a divorce, but Ronnie refused. Sheila then stole Ronnie's car and drank a whole bottle of pills to get his attention. Because of all of this, I broke out in a rash suddenly. If you passed out while driving, the results may have been catastrophic. Thank goodness, nobody other was wounded in the incident. Sheila's experience, on the other hand, was rather different. She was transported by helicopter to the hospital after sustaining injuries so severe that she remained in a coma for a period of eight days. In addition to this, as a consequence of taking the tablets, she needed to have fluids pumped into her stomach. On our way back to Ronnie, after being discharged from the hospital, the couple moved to Chattanooga in an effort to work on their relationship and save their marriage. Nevertheless, it's unfortunate that the state of their relationship will only get worse with time. After some time, Sheila started making severe threats toward Ronnie, and after she threatened to kill him with scissors while he was sleeping, he decided to stop the relationship and move out, which ultimately led to the couple becoming divorced. When questioned about Sheila, Ronnie characterized her as being completely insane. 
To put it more clearly, Sheila is completely unconcerned about the welfare of anybody else. She simply wants things to go her way, which is kind of appropriate given that Sheila has always tried to be the dominating figure in her relationships, both in and out of the bedroom, if you get what I'm saying. She just wants everything to be done the way that she wants it. After the dissolution of her marriage, Sheila proceeded to go through a string of partners, most of whom she met through the personal advertisements that were published in various publications such as newspapers and magazines. Sheila was now the recipient of a lot of attention from guys. This was hardly a revelation, but the sorts of people that were outspoken, powerful, or independent were not what she was searching for. Instead, she wants someone she could exert her dominance and authority over. The use of personal advertising was an ideal method for accomplishing this, and the features that she saw were frequently highlighted in the text of the ads itself. Sheila was searching for Dior. Bill Labare when she happened upon him while she was here one day. So, what else can I say at this point? Bill, who was 60 years old, was a prosperous guy. He worked in chiropractic medicine. And he did so on a horse ranch that was around 150 acres in size and located in Epping, New Hampshire. Sheila was aware of his money, and she did not waste any time in sending Bill multiple images of herself naked in order to assuage his concerns about their relationship. And Bill thought it was great. Because he was head over heels in love with the younger woman, he began showering her with costly presents. As the relationship progressed to become more serious, Sheila moved in with Bill in 1987 on the ranch that he owned. And despite the fact that Bill and Sheila would never be married, Sheila's Atu of La Barre as a last name made Bill quite delighted about this development. He was blissfully unaware that the fact that he now had a stunning common law wife who was practically half his age meant that he could no longer maintain any of his previous relationships with female companions in the future. You have to understand that Sheila had a strong desire to take the lead role in their relationship, which is why she was the one responsible for Bill's previous relationships ending. To argue against this, however, she believed that she was still authorized to pursue her own amusement. Sheila had many affairs while she was living with Bill, according to reports from other sources. Her purported dominance in their lives continued to be obvious, and the pun was not meant. She became a manager at his firm and assumed charge of his funds as he got older, thereby inserting herself not only into his personal life, but also into his professional and financial lives as well. When I say that her connections with people outside the home were a disaster, that's putting it mildly. Her interactions with people outside the home were fraught with conflict. One of these relationships was with a Jamaican laborer called Dwayne Innes, whom Sheila had recruited to assist her with the farm's operations. Sheila asserts that Bill was okay with her having other romantic relationships, and he was even willing to let Wayne move into the house on the ranch with them so that they could all be together. However, it appears that these terms and conditions were not fully understood since Sheila eventually filed a complaint of assault against Wayne after he discovered her in bed with another guy. 
The accusations were finally dismissed, and to add fuel to the fire, Sheila and Wayne were shortly after engaged to be married. However, Sheila chose not to adopt Wayne's surname and instead retained her own, Bills. This created an even bigger mess. Sheila finally filed for divorce from Wayne, who had been the subject of many assault charges and a restraining order. After the divorce was finalized, Sheila did not waste any time in moving on to her next lover, James Brackett. When compared to Wayne, James shown a markedly greater degree of submission. However, we will gloss over the specifics here. After Sheila was accused with attacking him, trying to drive him over with her pickup vehicle, clawing and gouging his face, and even shooting a pistol at him, which mercifully missed him, their relationship soon went downhill and ended. Right, I'm going to give everyone a small pause here to breathe and process these relationships, as it paints a very clear picture of Sheila's manner. Right, I'm going to give everyone a brief moment here to digest these relationships. She was a tumultuous, aggressive, and explosive individual. All of these occurrences bring us up to the year 2000, and it was in December of that very same year that Bill Lebar passed away naturally. This is a really unfortunate turn of events. He lived to the ripe old age of 74, much to the chagrin of Bill's offspring and was the one who inherited his money, including his horse ranch, chiropractic practice, and rental home, despite the fact that he had never truly married Sheila. Which leads one to ask, had she always intended for this to be the outcome? As a result, friction arose within the family. Sheila was accused of trying to kill Bill with poison by her children. Bill, however, suffered from severe heart illness, and, in the end, he passed away from heart failure. Therefore, it is quite difficult to compute. Sheila now had complete authority over the ranch, where she was free to cause as much havoc as she pleased thanks to the fact that Bill was no longer a factor in her life. No more negotiations, no more deals, no more concessions. It was now entirely dependent on her terms. And regrettably, for some of Sheila's lovers, their visit to the ranch would turn out to be the last time they saw each other. This is the year 2003 at this point. Sheila had not moved off of the ranch in the three arduous years that had gone since Bill's passing, and she was still there by herself. This was in spite of the fact that several neighbors observed a large number of young men frequenting the residence, many of whom frequently remained for many days at a time. Sheila looked forward to their presence, and she would do anything she could to ensure that they would remain. This evening was marred by the unfortunate fact that she seduced the delivery men. It's hard to see her as particularly skilled. As soon as this happened, a number of delivery firms refused to bring their packages to the property. Instead, she would phone up maintenance businesses and come up with whatever excuse she could think of to have a handy man come out to the ranch. Let's take it a step farther, shall we? Sheila eventually extended an invitation to young guys who were living on the streets to stay at her house, where they would have access to drugs and sex whenever they pleased. And Michael Delage, who was 37 years old at the time, was one of these susceptible young guys. 
The story of Michael is a tragic one. He was an introvert who had very little to no employment experience, frequently went through periods of being homeless, and struggled with an addiction to drugs. Therefore, it should not come as a surprise that he agreed to Sheila's proposal when she assured him that she would provide him with financial stability, a place to live, and affection. After some time, Michael went on to the ranch, where he and Sheila gradually settled into a rowdy ranch lifestyle that included of BDSM, love, and sex. It was obvious that Sheila adored this lifestyle. For a number of years now, the majority of us have been familiar with the novel Fifty Shades of Grey. However, for those of you who aren't aware, BDSM also involves bondage and the wearing of fetish gear. In bondage, one person or a group of individuals may frequently take on a subservient position while being dominated by another. Sheila was the blue sobbing, chain dangling, whip cracking dominatrix just the way she loved it. But Michael was the ideal fit for the figure of the submissive figure. Michael was Michael. Sheila was Sheila. Sheila frequently went well beyond the boundaries of her employment, and she frequently engaged in behaviors that, in any other context, would be categorized as abuse and maltreatment. For example, she frequently bound Michael and beat him. She would also take advantage of Michael for whatever financial gain he could have. Michael made a few of attempts to escape, eventually going back to a homeless shelter that he had frequented in the past. She had complete control of his income and claimed that he wasn't responsible enough to spend wisely. He made the journey more than once, reasoning that he needed to get away from someone who was psychotic and dominating and he walked the twenty miles from the ranch to the shelter. Sheila was aware of his whereabouts and the location from which he would return each time he left the house. This pattern eventually turned into a habit. Before a particularly chilly evening in the autumn of 2005, Michael had never been seen at the shelter again. In addition to this, he ceased communicating with his family by contacting them and he was never seen at the ranch again. Michael's family would get letters from him now and again, but the topics he wrote about were always quite disturbing. At the end of the most recent letter, Michael wrote that he had finally found happiness, that he would never return, and that they were under no circumstances to contact the authorities or return to the ranch. It was almost as if he had someone else write these letters on his behalf. No one seemed really concerned about Michael's absence, which is unfortunate given that he was an introvert who sometimes lived on the streets and struggled with substance abuse. At least not in the immediate future. Sheila continued to use her manipulative skills to get men into her house and ultimately into her bed. In addition to this, she was a phone sex operator so that she could pay the bills and in February of the year 2006, this is how she met her next boy toy, Kenneth County, who was four years old at the time. Kenneth was said to be an extremely affable and likable man who was often seen with a smile on his face. In addition, he had been a member of the military in the past, but he has since been dismissed. The veteran soldier had a strong bond with his family. In point of fact, 
his entire existence centered on them. And the reason for this was most likely due to the fact that Kenneth depended on them. You have to understand that Kenneth was a man who possessed a low IQ, and sadly, he was determined to have the mental ability of a 12-year-old. In a nutshell, he spent the majority of his adult life woefully unprepared socially. Unfortunately, because of this, Sheila was able to easily take advantage of him. Sheila used her charming personality to win Kenneth over and get what she wanted. She prevailed in her efforts to persuade him to meet in a nearby hotel, where she proceeded to placate Kenneth with lovely talk and phrases that were seductive. It should come as no surprise that they ended up having sexual relations in her car when they were parked in the lot. That was one of those things that I just never got. You agree to meet at a hotel, but you drive there yourself. Sheila was successful in persuading Kenneth to relocate to the ranch with her, and she assured him that their new existence would be filled with unlimited opportunities for enjoyment. However, this was not the life that Kenneth was destined to live, and instead, Sheila immediately resumed her violent and BDSM dreams with Kenneth at her disposal. These exercises were so intense that they left Kenneth covered in bruises, scrapes, and burns throughout his whole body. As a direct consequence of this, the man's health became very obviously worse. People were quick to pick up on this fact as well. It didn't take long. Kenneth was shown in one photograph taken at the local Walmart sitting in a wheelchair and bearing a number of wounds. The burns and wounds on his face were the most obvious of his injuries. The employees at Walmart began to have concerns as a result of this, and finally, following a heated confrontation, they phoned the police. Sheila and Kenneth were given permission to go without any additional questions being asked which indicates that their explanations were plausible enough. And this was despite the fact that Kenneth appeared to be quite reclusive and anxious. Sheila referred to herself throughout this dispute as a multi-millionaire who owned a whore's form, which, let's be honest here, was a pretty large stretch of the truth. In addition to that, she was said to be quite furious, unreasonable, and extremely defensive. Soon after this occurrence in March of 2006, Kenny was completely quiet for no apparent reason. Carolyn, his mother, was becoming increasingly concerned. She was unable to communicate with him anymore. No one else had heard from him either, according to his friends and the people at his place of employment when they were contacted. She was aware that Kenneth had relocated to Sheila's ranch, but when she called Sheila, the conversation was met with a less-than-kind response. Instead, she informed Carolyn that they did not have any problems and that they should just leave him alone. Kenneth was not a man who was capable of taking care of himself, and the lack of interaction was making her increasingly uncomfortable. She then made the decision to phone the local sheriff's department, where she was put in contact with Sergeant Sean Gallagher, who assisted her in filing an official complaint that her son Kenneth was missing. Sean made a frantic attempt to reach Sheila by phone at the La Barre house in the hopes of obtaining any information from her. On the other hand, the phone in the house continued to ring endlessly. There was no response to this. It seems as though Sheila had also been given the silent treatment. 
That would remain the case until Sheila would eventually contact Sean two days later when Sean would finally receive a phone call from her. She informed him that Kenneth was no longer at the ranch and that he was, in fact, hiding out somewhere else. Before Sean could even think about giving a response, he heard a loud click on the other end of the line, followed by the hissing and crackling white noise that a tape recorder produces. The recording was subsequently started to be played by Sheila, and she started naming a few of Kenny's relatives on this recording, which was also included in the package. She questioned Kenneth about whether or not he had assaulted them, and the tape recording responded by playing back a little voice responding yes to all of the things she had asked. Following the completion of the state, she hung up the phone. Because of this, Sean was naturally shaken up after receiving the phone call. It was one o'clock in the morning. Why would Sheila phone him in the middle of the night to accuse Kenneth of committing repeated acts of sexual misconduct? Later on that day, around six o'clock in the evening, Sean and another law enforcement officer made their way to the ranch in quest of explanations. Interesting aside, but the law enforcement already had Sheila's information and had visited the ranch on several occasions in the past. However, after this, law enforcement personnel would only cross the border in groups or pairs. And do you have any idea why? It should be obvious that the reason for this is that Sheila would attempt to seduce the officer if he was alone. Anyway, when we arrived this time there was no one to greet us at either the gate or the door. Despite the fact that all of the vehicles were present at the address, this occurred. They started looking through the land, and as they were doing so, they came across an active burn site that included a charred mattress and a mound of hay that was also on fire. As the cops approached the fire scene, they could clearly see a bone that was three and a half inches long. It seemed to be an inch thick and still had some charred connective tissue connected to it. Immediately, Sean placed a call for assistance, and while he was waiting for them, Sheila materialized out of nowhere at the front gate. Sheila responded in a matter-of-fact manner to the cops' questions regarding the fire site and the bones, saying that it was either a rabbit or a child molester. The officers then confronted her and proceeded to interview her about the incident. After a brief argument, she requested that the cops leave the scene. Sheila was immune to any legal consequences whatsoever. In spite of the fact that there were worrying specifics, there was not enough proof, so a warrant was instead acquired. Immediately the next day, after the warrant was eventually granted, the police began doing a physical investigation of the property, and what they discovered was exactly what they had dreaded the most. There was blood on the cupboards in the kitchen all over the walls in the living room, and on many boxes in the bedroom. It was discovered that the washing machine was stuffed with clothes that smelled terrible and had visible signs of decomposition. Additionally, two empty canisters that also smelled like gasoline were found. Unfortunately, these were the two containers that Kenneth was holding in the image that was taken at Walmart. Additionally, Traces of blood were discovered in the bathtub located upstairs, in addition to the sofa, the wall of the kitchen, and several other things located around the property. Sheila had done a very bad job in terms of cleaning up, 
and despite the fact that an arrest warrant had been issued for her, she could not be located anywhere. Sheila had really gotten away from them and was hitchhiking her way to Boston out of fear of what they could discover. And would you believe that she had actually had sexual relations with the man who had picked her up at random? She had even stated that she was an angel in the court records that were filed, and that he had just recently had intercourse with an angel. However, her dependence on the man would ultimately prove her undoing because as soon as the man received a notice that Sheila was wanted for arrest, he quickly phoned the police and notified them of her presence. This led to her capture and subsequent detention. Sheila's fate was sealed at this point, which was undoubtedly disappointing for her. After a formal investigation, she was taken into custody for the murder of Kenneth County. After she was taken into custody, authorities initiated a search of the property that would last for three weeks. The results of the search left the authorities feeling sick to their stomachs. They discovered burn heaps that dated back to as early as 2004, which proved that Sheila had engaged in this behavior on more than one occasion. Through the course of their research, they would unequivocally determine that Michael Delage was another victim. When they investigated the septic tank that was located on the property, they discovered the cause of his death. They discovered Michael's birth certificate, a shell casing that had been fired, and a few bones floating in the water that had become stagnant. After comparing the bones' DNA to that of Michael's mother, the results of the test came back positive. In addition, Three human toes and a large number of personal things that could not be connected to any known victim or person were found on the grounds of the ranch. Homemade videotapes were one of the pieces of evidence that were found at the site, and they were among the most unsettling. Sheila then proceeded to record Michael Delage's and Kenneth County's confessions at this location. They falsely confessed that they were responsible for a variety of offenses while being interrogated by her and subjected to her torture. Now, we can't seriously believe that Sheila would go down without a fight, can we? In 2008, when she was put on trial for her crime, she argued that she was insane and so should not be held responsible. Sheila said that when she was in a coma in the 1980s, she had a spiritual experience in which she encountered God. It would appear that he had instructed her to protect the children of this world and to prevent the same things from occurring to them as had occurred to her when she was younger. Sheila views herself as an unofficial angel sent to New Hampshire with the mission of cleansing the state of its sexual offenders. During the two years that Sheila was waiting for her trial, she had been evaluated by a large number of psychologists. Some people commented that she gave off a sick and deluded vibe. Others said that she suffered from a severe personality problem that was compounded by the abuse she had received in her younger years. Did Sheila sincerely feel that God had dispatched her to dispose of these males as part of his plan? Or had her past experiences combined with a mental illness contributed to the growth of her hatred? Had the two people she knew to be her victims actually committed these crimes? Or was it all just her deranged imagination? Following a great deal of discussion, Sheila's claim of insanity was legally rejected. 
Sheila had a high functional level while maybe suffering from a personality condition known as stream of consciousness. When she was caught in the act, she attempted to cover her tracks by destroying evidence and running away from the authorities. Despite this, she was aware that what she had done was unethical. And as a consequence of all of this, Sheila LaBelle was judged to be responsible for the killings of Michael Delage in Kenneth County in the month of June in 2008. Two sentences of life in prison without the possibility of release were handed down to her. Unfortunately, there was not enough evidence to put her on trial for any of the other killings. However, to this day, there have been numerous inexplicable things and even human remains recovered at the ranch. This is true even though it has been many years. The investigators would later discover three human toes that had been cut on the site, but it was determined that these did not belong to Michael or Kenny. Is it possible that there is a third victim? Sheila Labare would thus be classified as a serial killer if this were true. And taking into account the data, this is an incredibly plausible conclusion. When you think about what Sheila did, it's really rather tragic. She indulged her twisted desires by preying on those who were helpless and defenseless. And perhaps in her own distorted perception of the world, she saw it as her vengeance. But as for myself, I don't buy it at all. Given that she has experienced a number of head traumas throughout the course of her life, some of which date back to when she was a child, there is space for discussion over the nature of her mental state. Because this is a subfield of psychology that we have not yet mastered in its entirety, we cannot state anything with absolute certainty. Sheila is responsible for the deaths of two men who were not guilty in any way. This much is certain. Both of these men were weak people, and when they were in need, Sheila took advantage of the chance to make them her pets and take advantage of their vulnerability. Sheila's feelings toward Kenneth County and Michael Delage were never particularly strong. She is a hypersexual gold digger who is completely self-centered, and she is a superb manipulator. She deserves the hand that she has been dealt. The only form of confinement that she will ever get to experience again is that of being put in jail herself. Our investigation into the BDSM horse ranch serial murderer has now come to a close. The final decision on the name has not yet been made. I am deeply grateful for your presence here today. Your attention to this episode means everything to us. If this case has left you with a newfound understanding or appreciation, we kindly request that you hit the thumbs up button and subscribe to our channel. We are always eager to hear your thoughts and insights, so please take a moment to share your opinions in the comments section below. Rest assured, we shall return with another gripping tale very soon. But until then, let us all remember to keep a watchful eye on our fellow human beings. For we are all in this together. Farewell, and may our paths cross again soon.